0: Ignorant and free. Help keep KPFT vibrant with your financial contribution. Visit KPFT.org to join securely online. This is commercial free, listener sponsored Pacifica Radio, KPFT Houston.
1: KPFT Houston.
2: La vida es un freestyle y cada día es un beat Por eso no permito que decidan por mí ¿Por qué pensar en lo que pueda surgir? Si puedo soñar cuando me acuesto a dormir La vida es un freestyle y cada día es un beat Por eso no permito que decidan por mí ¿Por qué pensar en lo que pueda surgir? Si puedo soñar cuando me acuesto a dormir La vida es un freestyle negro desde que empieza hasta que termina Tus decisiones son como tus rimas Tal y como las tomes seguidas aquí con vida La inmundicia de las calles, que viene siendo como tu tarima. La gente que te anima, uno por falsedad y otro que en verdad te estima. Pero todo se va cuando el toque se termina. Tan solo esta mamá para bajarte la autoestima. Ser músico aquí al parecer es muy difícil. Y a mí el hip hop no me va que sacar de crisis. Y es verdad, sé que de casa me fuiste. Poder graduarme, pero fue porque yo quise you reason. Yo me disfruto cada día aquí al cien percent Pendiente de la vaina mía sin mirar a quien. Ya conocido en todos lados por donde me ven. Y agradecido con lo vagos, con lo que de bien. La pasamos de pinga. Come y rabia, viviéndonos la vida gringa que estoy mal, la vida es corta me la pinga no pienso anclar, no habrá razón pa' que me rinda, esto es mi terreno y yo tengo el total control de Ali como lo hace Chris Paul dejándola que fluya sin carrera y sin presión, oyendo el fondo que me hace los latidos de mi corazón la vida es un freestyle y cada día es un beat por eso no permito que decidan por mí, porque pensar en lo que pueda surgir, si puedo soñar cuando me acuesto a dormir la vida es un freestyle y cada día es un beat Por eso no permito que decidan por mí Por pensar en lo que pueda surgir Si puedo soñar cuando me cuesta dormir Y apenas es primera ronda Si caigo pelaré por réplica Hasta que la vida ya no me responda Mis propias reglas y mis normas Cayéndome a coñazo hasta con mi propia sombra Siempre preparado un plan inesperado De eso que te voltean el público y el jurado El último minuto de una fea me he salvado Ahora sí que invicto y todavía no me han tumbado La juventud es corta y la vejez que larga Saborea la derrota, debe ser una vaina marca. Ya haber sido un tipo de eso camisa con manga Pero si llego a viejo no soportaría la carga Recuerdo que una vez cuando estaba en el liceo Hice un manual de vida que de vega en cuando leo Hablaba de graduarme y luego conseguí un empleo Pero la parte donde soy feliz nunca la veo. Y lo que estoy haciendo, poniéndole el capítulo que creo. Y aunque ando vacilando, no bromeo. Todos me dicen que me falta más planificarme. Pero es que se me da muy bien esto del freestyleo. La, la vida es un freestyle, freestyle y cada es día es un beat. Por eso no permito que decidan por mí. Porque pensar es lo que pueda surgir. Si puedo soñar cuando me apuesto a dormir. La vida es un freestyle y cada día es un beat. Por eso no permito que decidan por mí Por qué pensar en lo que pueda surgir Si puedo soñar cuando me encuesto a dormir
4: If you worked in a Beverly Hills mansion and the neighborhood was burning down literally, would you stay or would you flee? I'd leave. Today, our show is inspired by a recent newspaper article in the Los Angeles Times that covered the story of the housekeepers and gardeners And you wouldn't be profiling if you guessed they were Latinos who stayed to work. We'll be interviewing the reporter, Brittany Mejia, who covered the piece. And that's also inspired today's installment of Cultural Capital titled The 100 Fires, The Latino Condition. And our entire program is dedicated to this topic because... This unpeels a lot of these structural barriers that accost us every day and can wipe us out. Hey, this is Tony Diaz, El Libre Traficante. Happy to have our great crew with us. What's up? What's up? Bonjour. Hola. Hello,
3: hello, hello. And I'm here. Hello, hello, right. hello. <laughs> <laughs>
4: That's Marlene and Letty. We really have a great show lined up for you. Next week, we're going to get a close-up of Q. What's up? Yes. Next Tuesday. Hey. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Also, Latinos Rising. They had an
1: excellent conference, which you helped document and archive. Absolutely. It's it's amazing. Go check it out on uh, um, Terrell Quillen on Facebook. Um, also on my podcast, Bullet Like Jazz. Some great stories, some great women, some phenomenal things are going on. Y'all don't want to miss it, man. Another example, though, of cultural capital. But here's
4: the point. We can't get to all of it, which leads us into today's installment of Cultural Capital. If you're on our email list, you get these updates at 2 p.m. every Tuesday. And this particular piece ties into the abandonment of our gente in the Getty fires. Now, of course, uh, begins. It's hard to fight structural oppression when the structure is on fire. This hit home after I saw the news reports that Latino gardeners and housekeepers were not evacuated during the fires in California. They either went to work because they needed to, or they were told to, or they were not warned to flee. This is a powerful metaphor for our time. Folks who don't recognize structural discrimination wonder why the workers still went to work. We've been trying to explain for generations Structural discrimination can kill you. I'm so glad a Latina reporter named Brittany Mejia was there for the Los Angeles Times to report this. Hashtag representation matters. Today we'll have her on during the second part of the show, and you can bet that if you go to nuestrapalabra.org tomorrow, we'll have the SoundCloud rebroadcast for you on demand. Side note, I created a lesson plan that you can use in Composition 1, Composition 2, and Mexican American Literature courses, among other classes at the college level. Use it today. Those workers' lives were threatened by literal fires. Our community faces 100 metaphoric fires every day. Of course, comparing literal fires to metaphorical fires may seem callous. However, mainstream folks do not really care about either. Both are equally ignored by mainstream media. The literal fires do not stay national news, do not become household talking points, and will fade into the news cycle like the rest of the systematic oppression our communities face and will evaporate like our great acts. Thus our history is not taught in schools. Like so many other structural barriers and discriminatory attacks we face, both obvious and subtle, we face a hundred fires every day. Here are just 10 examples. Fire number one, DACA is being debated at the Supreme Court. Multiply this by several other immigration issues that hang over the heads of familias in our communities. And there's still parents trying to be united with their kids who were torn from their arms by immigration officials. Fire number two. Election season is here. This conjures how both parties neglect profound issues that directly shape our community. At statewide elections, at citywide elections, multiply this by the number of cities like Houston, Texas, where 40% of the population yet hold only one city council seat, depending on the outcome of upcoming runoff elections. Multiply this by the issues we face to fight regarding gerrymandering, voter suppression, voter purges, etc. Fire number three, ethnic studies. I'm thrilled, and we all are thrilled, that the Texas State Board of Education is taking public testimony regarding implementing African-American studies statewide. The Libro Traficantes have sent letters to encourage the Texas State Board of Education to vote the right way. If you haven't heard about this, it's because good news does not make news. But I hope we don't have to get on buses to drive to Austin, Texas, to protest at Texas SBOE for rejecting African-American studies, because you know we will just like we did when they attacked Mexican-American studies. We will get on those buses again if we have to. During the six years of work pushing for Mexican-American studies, we made sure to include a path for African-American studies, Asian-American studies, and Native American studies. Now multiply our work by the 1,200 school districts in Texas that need books, training, and teachers to teach those amazing new courses. Fire number four. A Harris County assistant district attorney refused to prosecute a sexual assault of a person in a holding cell while he was under police watch because he may have been undocumented. The assistant DA was fired. Multiply this by all the profiling and injustices we don't hear about. Fire number five. Austin ain't that cool. The University of Texas at Austin just got proven to be unfair in the hiring and promotion of Latino faculty. Multiply that by all other Hispanic-serving institutions that do this and all the other industries where this happens. Fire number six, Latino art. Our community doesn't have the luxury. None of our communities have luxuries that the mainstream nonprofits have to enjoy simply creating art because... If you're black or brown and Asian and indigenous, we have to address these fires that I'm describing to you right now because if they don't affect us directly today, they affect our audience, our artists, our community, and our futures. Multiply this by all the writers, visual artists, musicians, actors who have to fight to survive and maybe thrive and who have time and energy to donate to Latino arts nonprofits if you got time, ask me how we united to save the Talento Belingue the Houston theater for now. Fire number seven, education. That could be a list of its own. Yes, education is a major issue for the entire Latino demographic, but Houston is in crisis mode as the state takes over the entire Houston district after state laws played a role in a particular high school failing to meet state testing standards for seven years. Houston is the largest school district in Texas, which is sixty percent, 62% Latino. In Texas, Latino students represent over 52% of the 5.1 million public school students. An outgoing Republican Speaker of the House, Bonin, was reported saying that Texas laws are intended to choke blue cities. Don't multiply. Do math. A parent has to worry about their child attending school, the courses they will take, the teachers they will learn from, the building they report to every day, the curriculum that will add up to a diploma in a school in a district, now in upheaval. Fire number eight. Kept out of the Getty Museum, kept in the Getty fire. People really don't want to know why the Latina housekeepers were not warned by their bosses to stay out of the fires. People don't want to know about the fires we face every day. Multiply this by every industry, where we're paid under the table, we're paid less than other workers, we're overlooked for raises and promotions, if we're even hired, we're not considered intellectuals or artists, or evidently even thinking, feeling people. So what if we perish in literal or metaphorical blazes? Fire number 9 and so many more issues from the cradle to prison pipeline to climate injustices in our neighborhood to all the issues that hurt poor folks the most because our communities have the most poor folks number 10 the El Paso Walmart reopens the Walmart that was the site of the El Paso shootings has reopened this attack on our community aimed directly at Mexicans and Mexican-Americans shrinks in the memory of the U.S. as the media and politicians move on. Multiply this by 100 because this included a manifesto that plagiarized the discriminatory hate speech used against our community that appears in so many speeches, ads, memes of so many far-right politicians. That massacre revealed how limited a representation is on TV and in media because there were not enough Latinos to properly cover the slaughter of Mexicans and Mexican-Americans. And this also demonstrates how this attack on our community and all previous attacks fade from the American imagination and we're all left alone to deal with the trauma as we still have to show up to work. At jobs, we're expected to be happy just to have a job so we should not know that we're paid less or complain when we find out or we should just keep working even as the walls around us burn down. You wonder why we didn't attend the event you organized to save us. You wonder why we still might show up for jobs in the midst of literal fires. We face a hundred fires every day and outsiders barely see the smoke, we have to monitor all of them to make sure we're not consumed as we extinguish those whose heat is closest. You're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. We're going to be having the reporter who brought that story to light, Brittany Mejia, on telephone. She's a Los Angeles Times reporter. We're going to have her talk about her story, where she's coming from, we got some questions and answers that my students came up with. I shared this with some of my students. They were blown away by the writing. And I actually have the lesson plan in our email blast as well. And then after that, we'll talk about any of these issues. We can't touch them all. So that explains why we can't get to every single issue and why we believe only art can save us. We're going to have an intense show, a deep show. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to take a musical break. We'll be right back. You know you're on KPFT, and you know this is Nuestra Palabra. Latino writers having their say on the air. You are experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. Thanks for tuning in tonight with our special on Cultural Capital. We are joined on the air by telephone, Los Angeles Times reporter Brittany Mejia. Are you there, Brittany? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, thank you so much for calling in. We appreciate it.
5: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on.
4: And we really wanted to touch bases because you did that powerful piece about the gardeners and housekeepers who were still at work during the Getty fires And, first of all, I shared that with some of my students uh, in in one of my um, classes. I I teach a rhetorical analysis, and they were blown away. So, first of all, you should know you're touching readers, for sure, if you didn't know that.
5: Thanks so much. I appreciate hearing that.
4: And they had a bunch of questions first, but I I did want to make a point. I think, too, it took you having your cultural background to get to the story um, I guess, first, do you think that's the case? And secondly, tell us a little bit about your your upbringing and, and where you're from. So do you think that is the case? Is it fair to say that you had to be Mexican-American to understand how big the story was?
5: I do think that's the case, and I especially think that knowing the language, honestly, not if I didn't know Spanish, I would not have been able to communicate with any of these workers out there. Um, and I actually, you know, my mom was born in Mexico, in Guadalajara. And I grew up, you know, she ended up moving to L.A. when she was 14, um, and so she grew up in the L.A. area, but I grew up speaking Spanish in the home, and it was a big thing for my mom to make sure that we, you know, all spoke Spanish and we could understand it. And I think early on, that was my first language, actually. I was in ESL because I didn't speak English first. Um, And so, you know, being able to have that language ability really helped me be able to tell the story. Um, and also come from come at it from my personal background,
4: and that is so powerful, especially right now, because you know we, a lot of teachers listen to us, a lot of professors, uh, a lot of folks that teach ESL. So it's wonderful to know that you went from ESL to the Los Angeles Times, and and also it I think too in the midst of that story, some of those folks would not have spoken to you, not just because they couldn't communicate, but they might not have trusted someone. Who I'm just going to say it, you know, if an Anglo reporter walks around, um, doesn't speak English, I don't know if some of those folks would have even spoken to them.
5: Yeah, it was interesting, and most of the times when I'm doing interviews, especially out in the community, um, and especially here, I mean, I will talk about my own family and my own background. When I was interviewing the main person in the story, I was asking her where she was from, and you know, she's from Guatemala, and and I was like, oh, you know, my mom actually was born in Mexico, and. You know, came here from Mexico when she was fourteen, and, and grew up here, and and I find that that it, it creates this like bridge between me and the person I'm interviewing because they kind of have that oh you know, you come from a background a similar type background or you I can relate or we can relate in that way so it, it allows me to make a connection with them
4: through that. That that's fantastic. That's wonderful. I also love the way you navigated. Avoiding cliche questions and issues about immigration status, you alluded to someone who was an asylum uh, recipient, but I love the way you I hope people will study your your piece as a classic master class on how to use identity terms immigration terms uh, you obviously followed the Los Angeles style <laughs> of writing but did you deftly or purposefully navigate that, or that's just the way you view the world when you're writing a story?
5: Yeah, I think in this one I was particularly mindful of that. I mean, it was never—I mean, my intention going into the story was not to make this, you know, a whole battleground about immigration or about status or about any of that. And I, I think, you know, I was mindful of these stories as I write, as I wrote them, because I've written about immigration a lot uh, over the past year. And so those questions kind of came up naturally when I was speaking to people about their backgrounds and they were just sharing with me, you know, a little bit like, this is how long I've been here. This is where I'm currently at. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was kind of, it's kind of tricky to navigate, but my editor is also um, (laughs) Mexican-American. Nice. Yeah, which is great because, you know, anything that I'm, you know, if I'm kind of on the fence about, like, he and I will talk through it and it helps a lot to have that representation, especially in an editor, because there's a lot of things I can feel by him. Um, and he, he weighs in and knows kind of where I'm coming from
4: too. That's, that's powerful. And if we had an hour, no, if we had three hours in a graduate level course, we could just continue to go <laughs> on that road. Cause I do want to repeat, I don't think uh, a non Mexican American author would have recognized the story was important, um, could have communicated and could have built those bridges to get to that story. I also want to talk about some other aspects too because you do such a great job of getting the story out, but some beautiful concrete details. So tell us a little about your schooling. You're a fiction writer on the side too. You're writing a novel. It was beautifully written. Some of those little details. Especially, we we blew our minds when you talked about the packed lunch. Oh, right. Oh, man.
5: Yeah, it's interesting. I think coming in, because I've been at the LA Times now five years, and initially when I started, I come from a background, like I did journalism. I majored in journalism at the University of Arizona, and coming into the paper, I wasn't a a particularly strong writer, and I don't know that I paid attention to details because I was very you know, breaking news-minded. And my editor, Hector Becerra, is such a beautiful writer and is very much like slow down, pay attention to the details, um, you know, and, and I I record interviews that I do because I want to be able to focus on the details um, and be able to really be present in the moment and know, you know, watch someone's reaction when I'm asking them a question or, or you know, even when I came across Carmen Solano and we were talking, I asked her, I was like, oh, what's in your backpack? Like, what did you bring today? Because it seemed like it was pretty heavy. Um,
6: and she had
5: <laughs> wow. Up stuff. Yeah. And so I was just like, it's interesting to me to know, you know, and in some cases I was like, oh, maybe she thinks. I'm silly for, like, asking, you know, these particular questions, but I was curious, and she seemed happy to share and, like, opened her backpack and showed me what was inside.
4: I love it. No, but, again, I, I would speculate that it's that sensibility that comes not just from the craft, but that cariño to to humanize those individuals that m- it might not even make sense to some other folks. Like, okay, I'm not going to talk to this person who's still here. I want to see the owners. Uh, so that, that cariño comes across and captures it uh really well and and really gives this ver similitude to the news piece that I think rises above above the genre for um for many reasons. I don't want to monopolize your time with my questions because a shout out to Houston uh to um Lone Star College Houston North where some of the students wanted me to ask you some some of the following questions. <laughs> um were you scared as you walked deeper into this place that should have been evacuated
3: well so
5: it was interesting i have actually covered a lot of fires in the five years i've been here um and mudslides and things like that and so it's always kind of crazy going into something and i never know you know what's going to happen and that morning actually before i bumped into carmen i was along a street where there were homes that were burning and I think kind of it was a little iffy because at one point a firefighter was like stop walking because there are down power lines and there were wa- there was water all along the street and so they were like just stop like where, where exactly where you are because we're roping off this certain part of the street because there's a power line here and you know we don't want we don't want you to put yourself in a situation where you can get electrocuted um, and so it was kind of like oh I need to be more mindful and like pay attention I think sometimes I get caught up in the moment of what I'm doing and I get so hyper focused on that that I don't really get scared because I'm just, mm. you know, focused on talking to people, focused on reporting out the story. But I I know I need to be better about that and pay attention in those situations because there are times where, you know, I'll be in an area and then people will start to leave and I'm like, oh, why are you leaving? And they're like, oh, the wind shifted, the fire's coming this way. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, so
4: and, it's, yeah. And now and, and another student asked, is it typical for – reporters is it their job then where you start giving them rights <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was wonderful um, but probably not typical
5: is right the, it's really not I mean that was the thing when I first encountered Carmen I actually had talked to her because she was like oh I'm coming to work and you know they're here my boss haven't called me so they must be here and I was pretty convinced they weren't um, because the street was empty and I had mm. been all around that neighborhood um, and so I and she had left her phone so I was like I was like, can I just stay with you and make sure that they're here? Um, and if they're not, like, I can just give you a ride. Wow. Um, because I, I ended up calling my editor because I was like, I can't leave this poor woman here. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> oh, she, she has no phone. Um, you know, the taxi left. The owners, I don't even know if they're here. And I, was like, I, I suspect that they're not. Um, and I was like, I just can't leave her. Um, and, you know, she, she's diabetic. She can hardly walk. Like, she struggles to walk. I was like, there's no way she's going to be able to walk out of this mandatory mm. evacuation zone. Um, yeah, so I think that was a big thing for me. But it was hard because, like, a part of me is like, as a reporter, I shouldn't be the story. Like, I shouldn't be part of the story. The story should center on, you know, the people I'm writing about. But in this case, I really couldn't remove myself from it because mm. the alternative was to just abandon this woman where she was, um, which I just, like, couldn't bring myself to do.
1: But but it's
4: powerful to see to see you do that in in the uh, article, and I think uh, again it rises above um, the, the genre in, in a powerful way. I just got two more questions for you. I know you have other uh, phone calls to attend to. Well, one last one from the student. I got in with my own question. So uh, another student wanted to find out what was going through your head as um, some of these folks gave you the reasons that they weren't going to leave or or didn't think to leave.
6: Honestly, it was. It, it was
5: kind of difficult. The entire day was kind of difficult. To be honest, I, when I drove home, I kind of cried on my car ride back to my house mm. because it just felt, I don't know, I really felt it. I, I think in the moment I was very focused on reporting the story, but I felt the impact of the fact that you know, these people really wanted to work because they couldn't afford to miss that day of pay. And so that was what was primarily the focus on their mind, which was, was clear to me that they were struggling and needed the money. Um, and mm-hmm. so I'm just hearing these people say, "No, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to. I'm going to hike into a mandatory evacuation zone and show up because that's what I need to do." Um, and so that was striking to me. And I, when I spoke to an LAPD officer who actually also is Latino, he was like, "Even I've had to tell several people to leave, and like I can just see how determined they are to do this job mm-hmm. and to finish this work, um, you know, and to and to go through this." And so it was. At the same time, I, I was. because I was like oh I can't believe that this is what you know they they're coming because they feel they have no other choice but also it's just so impressive to me to see the length that they were willing to go to because they were just like I I need to do the job and I need to finish this job
6: Mm.
4: and and I do want to tell folks that no my my students were completely engaged by this uh, just as I was so I think that um, that comes across in in the article uh, written at the highest standards possible um, but also at a certain depth that I think you, you don't always see with these types of stories. Uh, so, uh, and we have a lesson plan as well in our newsletter for folks if they want to take it into class tomorrow. Uh, let, let me ask the final question, which is then, um, you know, you couldn't editorialize, which you don't in that, in that article. Let me just mm-hmm. ask you then as a person, uh, what's your thoughts like? It's mind-boggling to me that this is not household news, that people don't – there's not an, more of an outcry – um, about this. Um, it didn't make national news because, well, whenever you write something as national news, you're the L.A. Times. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still not a household story. Um, why not? And, and why do people, um, you know, uh, there's people arguing that I've seen I, I've seen people arguing on the comments section. Don't read the comments section, people. <laughs> <laughs> Who are saying terrible things like it was the workers' fault and whatnot.
5: I um, know. I've gotten some of those actually in a <laughs>
4: So, what's
5: your gut feel? I mean, yeah, it's kind of crazy to me. You know, uh, I, I don't think it's something that's considered or thought about. There's all that stuff where you're, like, preparing. If you, there's a fire. Here's what you do. Like, you get your pets. Like, you get your belongings. You get out. And I don't think – I think this is sort of just not thought about. And, you know, I think after the story ran, one of the councilmen actually was, like, tell your workers not to come. Um, if you've mm. evacuated, you need to let them know. And I think – that that needs to be pushed out more because it's not considered it's kind of i i understand there's like this mad rush people are trying to get out but even that day workers were still coming in late in the afternoon you know wow. after, hours after the mandatory evacuation had happened um you know so there was time uh, to let them know and i i just don't think that was happening and it wasn't some a consideration and I, I you know it should have been honestly and and I know from what I've heard through Twitter and emails that this has happened in different situations, like other fires. Also, wow. you know, um, others have come into work, and again, it's, it just it's going to keep playing out if these workers are not considered the next time around.
4: Well, well, thank you so much for everything you're doing. You are changing the world, and thank you for calling in and uh, keep us posted. We'll, we'll call you up again in the future to catch up with you. Thank you, Brittany Mahia.
5: Thanks so much. I appreciate it.
4: You're listening to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. lot to take in. I'm dying to talk to the rest of the crew. And, and again, this is just one aspect of the 10 fires that we quantified with the metaphoric 100 fires. We're probably undercounting that there's 100 fires, uh, probably 200 really is more a way to speak it. And and that's just talking about the thousands. Latino thousands. <laughs> and and we're just saying Latino community. Right. Let's add Latinx. Let's talk about Afro American and Afro Latino. Afro Latino. It's like the fires just keep multiplying. Yeah, they do. And it's almost to me, it it it's almost a miracle that there's one or two of us that can attend to running
1: for office or, you know, pursuing Art for the sake of art only I mean I think a lot of it has to do with fear I think a lot of it has to do with You know not being empowered to You know to want to take those positions Not being not seeing yourself in those positions Of of political Importance and influence um, I think all a lot of it has to do with Education as well um, You know the sort of doc, Indoctrination uh, The images the books The things you hear and you read um, You know I think you know it's definitely like is that this is definitely a form of institutional racism that's kind of keeping us down and keeping us preventing from taking those next steps those leaps those things that we need to do to really um you know make sure that those checks and balances and all these other institutions work to our benefit and and, and with so many levels of it you can't mm-hmm. just address one issue well yeah and that's that's the i mean that's that's where coming together really it matters because there's there's so much that you know that that has to happen we all can't do it, you know, by ourselves. We all can't do it in one day in one week. But we do need to really, truly be a community that is collaborating together, is working together, and is pulling resources and pulling, um, you know, um, contacts together to make things work. You know, um, and that's a very important point too. I, I
4: will add too that the, one of the tensions between what you think of a uh, progressive thought and right wing thought is this debate of whether we should be dealt with as individuals, which is what the right-wing establishment thinks, and if we should be treated as a group. And one quick example of that is that um, in the banning of ethnic studies in Arizona, one of the provisions to justify banning Mexican-American studies was that it treated students as a group and not individuals. And um, another quick example of this would be, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember the time when... uh, uh President Obama had something said something to the effect that we don't make it on our own, we make it as a group, and there was that whole argument of no we we pick ourselves by our bootstraps. But that's the same sort of argument where we're pushed to not come together.
1: Well and then the, and then the other fear of you know uh of that is like you take the humanity aspect uh humanity aspect out of it in my opinion. Um and I don't I can't recall that Obama um comment um off the top of my head but um you know like i i i definitely identify with what you're saying you know i definitely am on, on, on point with that i kind of lost my train of thought no sure no no, know, no there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of ideas a lot of, gr- of ground to cover because even even that you know group individual you know there, i have pushed back to that but um you know when you take out the individual. And you make it, you know, focus on a group You know, we're not monolithic That's the, the other complication The Afro community, Lat- Latino community, all communities None of us, men, women, none of us are monolithic And when you're able to look at us With a hybrid viewpoint of individual and group I, In my opinion, you know, it gives you an opportunity To meet all the needs that need to be met um, you you know, you look at us for who we are, you look at us for what we bring, but you also look at what we've gone through and what we're trying to accomplish, and it gives us a little bit more room to be creative and, and so forth. And, and I'll give a general example to that to
4: that and then a specific one. So uh, I think um, even in general, the old models that are used to, to aggregate us or group us don't work anymore because they're not evolving. So, for example... In the Latino community, there's a lot of debate about Latino his which term is the right, right. term Latino, Latinx, etc. That, that's one thing, and to me, that's not actually an intellectual endeavor. That's just bickering. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the artists need to come up with that which unites us. That's one thing. But let me be really specific. Even in uh in even in the essay uh 100 Fires, the um the Latino condition. We're not just we are talking about right now the groundskeepers. I'm also mentioning that at the University of Texas, there's a report and the Latino faculties are up in arms because they have been passed over for promotions and they're paid less. So you've got what's happening to, um, you know, our working class.
1: And then you have what happened to the intellectual
4: class. Intellectual class. And it's almost like you can't group together because you're so busy fighting for your
1: own job. Right. <laughs> that... Yeah. It kind of keeps us from Uniting I mean if you want to be Pessimistic This is the perfect system To keep us down If you want to be pessimistic Let's be pessimistic For a little (laughs) Let's be (laughs) Because uh, The system also I mean if you want to be real man The system in a way Doesn't really Favor People Looking out for the community Making it and looking back Um, it, it, It definitely puts us in a position of Think of yourself And think of only yourself And 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 rewarding, you know, rewarding those who think of themselves only. Right. And like, here's this one, has got to change. It's it, like, this This is not the only way to do economy. This is not the only way to do life. This is not the only way to do jobs. This is not the only way to treat people, pay salaries. This is not the only way. And, and You know, there's got to be, you know, mm-hmm. yeah.
4: Now, now, what I would add to the mix is that we talk about structural uh, oppression, and that's very vague. Um, this example... Of these workers who've been abandoned, that's powerful because yeah. this is what this is what I would like listeners to take from this: the fact that you and I, and I would go. I mean, I would run. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to stay there,
1: right?
4: You know, I'm not. It's everyone house. in <laughs> it's your house. I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. Can I say that on the air? Everyone here in this room, we have a lot of agency. We have. Uh, Freedom of speech We exercise on it We act we, on it
1: We have platforms to share we pl- it to get out there to And we'd people, be like Hey
4: guess educate. what They tried to keep me At this burning building <laughs> right. You know We'd protest the next day Right So the fact that we Can decide not to Means that We've got certain privileges mm-hmm. So it makes me pause to say Oh my God, goodness Some of our community Is still not you know, can't mm. they're relieved of that? But then, yeah. let's not let's not get deluded to think we're independent of their struggle because no, we're not, right? That's it's, the that's that's the structure. That's the, that's the important part. of The ceramic ceiling things. has been moved, so their their ceramic ceilings, literally on fire. But ours is on fire too, right? And we can't continue at this pace because there's so much inequity that you're touching on
1: yeah and like you know at some point this is going to burst and and and, and people are going to take sides and people are going to these hurts you know poverty you know not having insurance not being paid what you should what you you're worth knowing that you've been passed over for jobs and promotions like we're humans we deal with this this is this is this is this is something that, you know, as we continue to move forward, you know, we don't forget. And we and we, you know, as we, you know, protest or as we move forward, you know, we want to make and bring changes to this. I don't you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, one one thing that you said that, I, that that I also agreed with and love was the whole idea of how you were talking about our agency. And, and it's kind of it kind of touched on what I was talking about. We've got to got to be a hybrid of an individual and a group. man. Boom. We do have to listen, listen. Um, I can't help you if I'm broke. Okay, I'm gonna just say that I <laughs> no, cannot help you if I'm broke. That's very real, and, first that, and, and we foremost. shouldn't
4: be ashamed or envious Absolutely, of that. Absolutely, but let's get that did, straight. But,
1: but let's be frank: we are all hurt because we have many people who are black and Latino who make it and forget about us. So we are bruised and we have those scars. But I think that that is even more proof to the ones who are watching and saying that will never be me, that it won't be. And that when we, when, when that time to comes, make it the value, right. And when that time comes, when we draw that line in the line of sand, those people who did, you know, they will, they will know, you know, where they stand, where they don't, and they have a chance to fix it or not. But going back to what I wanted to talk about was like, I think moving forward for the change we want and things like that, we do have to be a nice hybrid of individual and a nice hybrid of community. I, and I like to think of the civil rights time. There was that. There were students doing their things, but the students came and got with the elders and did their thing, right? Uh, I think we need to get back to that. I think we need to get back to, you know, uh, you know, kind of those, those days, you know?
3: And honestly, I think that to some degree, people are afraid to go back. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess they feel, hey, if I go back, are people going to think I'm showing off because I'm giving them money.
4: Ooh, by the way, there's no. there's, a, there's a phrase in Who, Spanish. I mean, like, a, I, I, oh, you think, you think you're all that. that I think
1: that's the translation. I mean, I'm not trying to speak on you. When I, I hear you, but I hear I'm, you. I don't know though, but I hear you.
3: I'm sure there's people out there that think that way. If I'm, if I have a career and I'm well off and I go back to the community and say, Hey, I'm here to help you. I want to give back. There's going to be that one or two or three uh, people that are gonna say, oh, she's trying to show up because she made it, but then you have the other maybe ninety five percent that are like, oh, you know, she she is coming back because she wants to help us get to where she's at.
1: Can I chime in? Yeah, I think I think you have a valid point. I think this is where that hybrid of being a community and group is is the where, vessel. You know, what I'm saying, the delivery system. Saying, we we speak to that person saying, listen, nobody. You know, this is the, this is the plan. The plan was for you to make it and come back. Anybody that's saying that. They they are trying to destroy us and bring us down, which we know that there are agencies that that have infiltrated our, you know, our programs, our groups to destroy us and bring us down. But I think that that is a solution is not having that person be in isolation, but still being kind the individual of with the group, coming and still up doing with the
4: that. hybrid model to say here's the model because that's a great point, yes. Marlon. That person might come back. I'll let you play on. I think it is, and they feel terrible. Oh, my God, I'm never going back. Or exactly. Or the other part, too, is it is humbling. Not everybody has the wisdom or heart to humble themselves, and you're going to screw yeah. up. You're going to go talk to the eighth graders, and they're going to throw rocks at you, and you're like, okay, that was terrible. But but maybe our goal, like you're saying, is if we see this coming, let's come up with that vehicle yes, and to make a, it a easier a for them to entry. with that. And Look, th- yeah, go
1: ahead.
3: Sorry. And also, oh, and no, no, this is actually something I experienced Um I think, to a certain degree, parents need to get involved more. It start at a, at a young age. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just recently got included, I should say, in the parents group at my nephew's school. I don't oh, have wow. any kids, but I talked to the principal, and she's like trying to get the word out to get the, you know, for these events for the school, people to go, people outside of the school, people that even if they don't have kids, give back to the community. Look for sponsors, you know, look for people to say, hey you know out of the school let's say 50% of the students have perfect attendance for the entire year Aye. let's do a contest uh x number of bikes choice whatever so i think to a certain degree it's up to the you know to the parents to start at a young age like you know it sounds cliche but there's no i in team
1: it's true you and mean. and we
3: have to i believe we have to start at a young age show these kids hey you know just because you're hispanic you're um afro latino afro american you know any type of minority you can think of you can be a judge, you can be President of the United States one day, let them know, hey, you don't just have to be you know what we are, be better than me, you know we want we have to show them that regardless of the career they choose, it's a valid career. It's something important is that what a is public it? school
1: i think yes
3: yeah. it's a it's a public school- can you name it? Uh, it's called Durkee Elementary.
4: so it's a public school, it's a public school. Durkee elementary I, I bring that up only because. Fire number seven was education, and we
1: don't, don't get, get me started
4: on that. I know exactly because <laughs> all, all I started, All I can really. add, all I can add is that I'm gonna blame, and this is me editorializing. I'm gonna blame a Texas GOP Republican legislature that's come up with laws to destabilize our communities because then that school doesn't have a stable parent teacher organization, and that's one sign. Uh, uh, that the school is vulnerable in that capacity. So it's smart that you're getting involved. And that touch on the hybrid. She's an individual, but she's not a parent. Right. She's involved in the group. Right. uh, Leti, uh so what are your thoughts? Uh,
6: um, I definitely feel uh, on the education part, the destabilizing. Uh, I have my own um, ideas that, you know, when people, when we ended up getting our rights and we were able to get education, wasn't it so nice to attack us and make us slaves to a debt, and then almost uh, make you feel like, well, you've got to succeed, and if you don't succeed, well, you fail, and then you have this debt that you owe for failing, but you know it's also a debt for even trying. So I think that's. Tang. <laughs>
1: that that's it. that's yeah. number
4: seven, but higher
1: yeah. education. Can I? And I want to add on education. Listen, I'm an educator. People look at me as a superhero and whatnot. But I'ma just say it, man. I understand that not everybody can do everything, but we do have to within the black community and Latino community, we've gotta stop looking at institutions to raise our kids. Yes, they can fill in gaps where we can't, but we do also have to also, you know, realize that uh, you know, we parents, aunts uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters grandparents, nephews all that you know like we all can also contribute into teaching and to being a role model and and, and showing them a good example as well Um, I know that's kind of controversial but you, you know but but you know what I, though I think I think it needs to be said. I think we also, you know, we we do need to, you know, I, as a teacher, I see it. I mean, some parents I call me like, I don't know what to do. What do you what do you think? And I'm like, I'm yeah. not a parent. Yeah. <laughs>
6: parent
1: I'm not a parent, happened. you know? So, you know, and I'm not I, I'm not saying that to be super, calm, you know. No, no, uh, but uh uh you know, blah blah, blah. I'm losing my words. Right, but I think that I think that that needs to be said. I think that we do need to keep that in the back of our minds as we are talking about change no. and talking about institutions, institutional racism. We do have to realize home is where a lot of a lot of things. Are. I understand we have a lot of, you know, homes that are not perfect. But yeah, you know, a, a community, a home, a family is not just mom, dad. But know, let's it's get. A lot of different let's things.
4: get back to the show, which is nuestra palabra. Latino writers having their say. You can bring up those possibly controversial issues, because it's real our community, but we have the solution. Today, if you're listening, you can transform a homer family, break out a book. Amen. (laughs) Literally, literally, which one? Anyone. Yes. And if your kids or young people who look up to see your face in a book,
1: they will make it important. Listen, I read, I don't always do it, but I notice, I stand at my door and, and, and greet the kids as they come in. I notice there's a difference when I'm reading a book and days when I'm not. It's really interesting. It's really interesting seeing their questions, seeing them being nosy in what I'm doing and whatnot on days when I'm reading a book as they're walking in and days when I'm not. And, 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 you know, even in this digital age, you know, that still is like a powerful visual representation l- 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 oh, I, didn't mean to I know this Go is ahead, great
3: <laughs> ahead, and uh, let me chime in on that the one thing I do like about this school is that the students uh, they have to be there by 715 they have to be in class by around 725 730 they have to have a book to read Love it. before they get into class they sit them in the hallway in the cafeteria what have you they have to have a book to read if they don't have a book of their own they have books that they can borrow to read and they have to read and And I think that, that is great, because I agree my nephews, my niece, they love to read. We take them to the library at least That's once beautiful. or twice a month, and they come with like thirteen and fourteen books.
1: There's a lot of kids that are going to next grade levels but who are reading two grade levels behind exactly. This is a great idea, and I love this
3: you know what
6: actually you know what what I haven't understood is that you know in in middle school we have so- social studies right you mm-hmm. take. That is not implemented in high school. And sociology is the one thing that peels... we're talking
1: talking about racism right now. I I asked my middle school kids last week, what is democracy? None of them knew.
6: Well, yeah, you don't get to learn that until you're, what, a senior in a public school? It's called... government or whatever
4: and again this is just number seven let me let me throw two two other things on the fire i don't want to take all the time here because everyone's jumping in. this was like my classroom today by the way i'm like yo class is over y'all gotta go there's like other classes coming um the the um, the, the thing i want to add too because here's the scary part again this is just number seven multiply that i guess by a thousand you're right q hundreds too low uh this ain't even the topic of the whole show we're hinting at now in this era, minor, especially black and brown schools, the library is gone. Can't even Let's not even touch it. Yeah. Let's just let that sink in. But even Brittany Mejia, who was on the air today, said that she was an ESOL kid. She was English as a second language kid. That means, I think like you're saying there, there were parents that were engaging her pushing her, inspiring her yes. and making it clear that you put that book in your hand because that knowledge is vital yes. and here she is um, I, I don't want to make light of this I don't think anyone else could have caught the story and no one else had because like she <clears throat> mentioned at the end, this has gone on before hmm.
6: Oh, I was reading that I was reading, Ouch. I actually um, weird buzzfeed but um, yeah, um, LA the, the LA Times was reading about it and if they've made me upset, I was like, Oh wow. Okay, here's these people that are gonna have to save our produce and like take you know, basically put themselves out there, inhale all this smoke and die because, you know, the whole country's messed up. We need to get our produce out, we gotta make some money. Mm. You know, we were, we don't have our income. Okay. And then they get penalized. Well didn't you know better? What? <laughs> what what do you mean?
4: Mm. Intense. And, and Very it, much so. And again, we wanted to leave some room. We haven't even touched on all these other (laughs) these are are all the other aspects. Too many. Uh, No, and uh, of course, we want to thank everybody who helped make the show possible today. Thank you to Brittany Mejia, calling in. She's a Los Angeles Times reporter who wrote that piece about the uh, gardeners and uh, housekeepers who were left in the Getty fires. And of course, want to invite you to keep chiming in, keep talking. We are going to upload this to Nuestra Palabra on demand, and of course, all of our shows are archived at the University of Houston archives for your listening and research pleasure. Next week, speaking of ch- structural changes, Latina Rising. The crew will be on. They put Latina Con on, which is a great event, which speaks a lot about. I think that's a good example of the hybrid model.
1: Absolutely. Um, and I have a, There's a great clip Of Etna Mojica You know She had her panel And her panel Definitely dealt with Afro-Latina Because she's She's a a, um, a lovely chocolate Afro-Latina From the Dominican Republic And her panel You know Was full of hun- um, um, Dark-skinned Hondurians Who are uh, Garifuna descent And it, also Tasha And she was up there saying I identify as Hispanic And afro Latino," And I was like Right there <laughs> That's a whole Debate conversation Right there You know uh, her saying that and, and and taking that on because i've seen a lot of people uh, uh who are black latinos not necessarily identify as hispanic and, and-, and i think that was very interesting you know there's definitely something i want to want to talk more about her with um you know next week which is next
4: week and of course i got to say this too is that that's also why when i hear the arguments between latinx and latino i'm like that's just the tip of the pyramid you know uh and honestly once you take a mexican studies course or an ethnic studies course you've addressed this and you know the nuances in the second or third week of class Mm -hmm. so
1: i wish that was it shouldn't take you right like i mean (laughs) hey i was talking to somebody i was like listen if you hit 25 and you don't realize institutional racism isn't real you're just not paying attention let's end at that
4: man that that says it all and of course we're going to get you through it with some amazing art culture and great times thanks a lot for a great show gente hey this is Tony Diaz the Libre ciao this is Q
3: this is Marlon have a good one good night
4: thanks for tuning in
0: Many of us know someone looking to sell or just get rid of an old car, truck, RV, or motorcycle. It may be just taking up room in the garage or driveway. Sometimes the cost of the repair just doesn't make a sale even worth it. And as we all look for tax deductions at the end of the year, you may want to consider donating that unwanted vehicle, running or not. KPFT can have the vehicle towed away at no charge to you. The owner, you, get a tax receipt for deductions at the end of the year, a KPFT membership, and the satisfaction of knowing that old vehicle went to a good cause it's a win all the way around so just call toll free 1-855-KPFT-CAR that's 1-855-573-8227 no matter if it's a car truck scooter farm equipment just about any kind of vehicle we can take care of it just call 1-855-KPFT-CAR now or visit kpft.org this is 90.1 KPFT Houston Many of you